So let me read from the New American Standard Bible. We're looking at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all, telling us as believers, this is not how you get saved, this is how saved people ought to live. We're not saved by our good works, we're saved for good works. Good works are not the root, they are the intended fruit of salvation. Telling us who have come to salvation through faith alone in Christ alone, to deny ungodliness, selfishness, worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, in the event that will end the present age and start the age to come, that's the terminology the Lord uses in Matthew 24 and 25, is what we're going to call the rapture event. We're supposed to be motivated to being sensible, righteous, and godly in part because we're looking forward to the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, at the rapture event. We'll define what that is in a minute. Who gave himself for us in his first coming on the cross to pay for our sin debt and to rise again, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people that James just led us in a song about the family of God or the people of God that are his possession and we need to be zealous for good deeds. Now, here we are standing on the threshold of a new year, 2019. I guess some of you are sitting on the threshold. I'm standing. And, you know, we're living, there's no way to sugarcoat this. We're living in a culture that is in total, irrational, moral, and spiritual freefall. And there's, there's no way you can deny that if you have even a speck of divine viewpoint, although our cultural freefall can be and is redefined and defended by people who have embraced human viewpoint. That's one reason you need to be in and under the word so you're not going to be influenced by every wind of doctrine. What does um, Romans 12 say? I urge you, based on the mercies of God, to give your life a living sacrifice um, and uh, don't be conformed to the world, to the way the culture thinks, but be transformed by the renewing, reprogramming of your your brain based on the Word of God. That's why we teach the Word of God here. Um, so we're in this moral free fall, and I think most preachers would pound away at that and say, that's bad, and that's evil, and it's terrible, and it is. Uh, I look at uh, the younger generation out there. You're not living in the co- country I grew up in, no, in no way. I mean, good is being vilified. PowerPoints don't display properly. Uh, what can I say? Uh, and worse, evil is being held up as good and as wonderful. But here's the thing. I'm not, I don't have a negative message today. I'm going to tell you, don't panic. Don't give up. Don't doubt. Don't pout. Don't drop out. Help is on the way. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are one heartbeat away from his blessed presence, whether it be through physical death or through the event called the rapture event, where Christ is going to come from the prepared places in heaven, and he's going to resurrect those of us who are believers alive on this this earth when he comes back. We're going to get a resurrection body in place and be caught up and meet him in the air and go back to where he's prepared for us. So that's a heartbeat away. And that ought to be kind of convicting in some ways, but it ought to be real comforting, especially living in the culture in which we live in. And every believer who's alive when the rapture event happens, will be part of that. And I mean all colors, all countries, all cultures, all denominations, all the born-again believers, all generations. There's only one race, the human race. And if some of you don't start moving, you're going to finish in the last place, just so you'll know. But we're one heartbeat away from this rapture event. And with that in mind, we're going to think about four key facts, all TBFers, and we've got several visitors today, so you too need to know about the rapture event. We're going to see it's taught in the New Testament. It's imminent, which means it's impending. It's overhanging. It could happen at any moment. But it hasn't happened for 2,000 years, so we don't set dates. It will initiate the end times when the reality of God will become undeniable and still vast majorities of people will reject him. And it should impact us. The rapture, the fact that the rapture is imminent and coming and going to happen should impact us in lots of positive ways right now, even if we don't happen to be the generation that gets to see it. But, as is our custom, let's pray specifically that will be teachable to God's Word this morning, and it'll be about the text, not the teacher. And let's pray for those who protect and defend us 
And I've already told Chris and, and Lori a couple of times how much I appreciate their service, but they're both Annapolis graduates. U.S. Naval Academy, not easy. Not easy to get in, not easy to stay in, especially the first year. And then you owe us a lot of service, and we, we, we are very thankful for you, people like you. And they're believers, too. Is that great? Uh, so let's pray for our active military, our peace officers, and our firefighters, in addition to teachability. And uh, Clay, if you would, pray for us in that direction, okay? Thank you, Clay. Tell you what, let's... Uh, some people do New Year's resolutions, and I'm not really crazy about New Year's resolutions myself, but uh, they're, they're fine. But I've got, in order to warm up your capacity for abstract thought, I've got three really bad, really bad New Year's resolutions. You don't want these, okay? Number one, uh, for the next three months or so, first three months or so, 2019, when doing any formal paperwork, like we used to actually fill out checks when you bought stuff. You don't do that anymore, but doing any formal paperwork, I resolved to do my very best to remember not to write 2018. You ever do that for like the first couple of months? Yeah. Like get up here, tell us it's the going out song, stop the song in the middle, telling us the going out song. You know, things like that. I thought I was the only one. That's the kind of mistake James makes. He makes mistakes when he really didn't make a mistake, but he thought he did. That's the only kind of mistakes he ever makes. So just so you'll know. In 2019, I will save money, big money, by not buying junk I don't need on eBay. QVC has much better specials than that kind of stuff anyway. So that's easy. See, I told you these were really bad. I resolved to stop frustrating my boss with the same old excuses for missing work. In this new year, I will try hard to come up with new excuses. I said new excuses. Let's talk about the four things everybody needs to know about the rapture. It is taught in the New Testament and really... No evangelical Christian denies that, but we differ on exactly what it means. Number two is imminent, is impending. It could happen any moment, and we need to live with an expectancy uh, that is consistent with that. The rapture event will end the church age and lead us into what the Old Testament called the time of Jacob's trouble. New Testament calls it the tribulation, the rise and the fall of the Antichrist over a seven-year period, ended by the literal supernatural, visible, undeniable second advent of Jesus Christ to end human history on God's terms and to usher in a 1,000-year kingdom on earth that will lead to a whole new universe at the end that will go on forever. Um, so that's what it's going to do. It's going to initiate that era, the end times. And then finally, the rapture should impact us in positive ways now even if it doesn't happen in our lifetime. And don't let anybody set dates because uh, they don't know when it's going to happen. But we need to live as if it could. And you might say, well, that's kind of a crazy thing. Why would God tell us for 2,000 years something might happen? And he knows it's what's going to happen until at least, uh, what's today? Uh, December 30th, uh, 2018, right? So he knew it was going to happen until then, right? Because that's the way you should think anyway. You're just one heartbeat away anyway, man. And you could drop dead on you could you could drop dead on the way home, right? So we need to live with an expectancy as believers, not morbid um, fear of death or, or, or thinking about death, but just realizing that uh, we're not bulletproof, right? Number one, what's the first thing we should know? The rapture is taught in the New Testament. We're going to just buzz through these major passages. This is not an analysis today; it's a synthesis. Our Lord talks about it in the upper room in John fourteen. Just before he goes to be arrested on Thursday night and crucified Friday morning, Judas has left the room. You've got 11 believing apostles who have walked with him for three years, and he's telling them how, as believers, they can fellowship with him when he's no longer walking around with him with them physically. And that's the principles we need to live out every day as Christians. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't panic. Um, the, the Greek text probably should be translated, not believe in God, believe also in me. They already believe in God and believe in him. Keep on believing in God, even after I'm physically not walking around with you anymore. Keep on believing in me. In my Father's house, we call that heaven, really it's heaven too. There are many dwelling places. If it weren't so, I would have told you. If this was just a philosophy of life, and I'm going to get crucified tomorrow, I would have told you to run like chickens. But this is about all eternity. This is about reality. And Oprah doesn't tell you about this stuff, uh, whether she knows it or not. Uh, if it weren't so, I would have told you. Told you to run for the hills. I'm leaving you now temporarily to prepare a place for you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, 
you should put your name in blanks like that. Where it says you, you should say, Jesus is saying, I will prepare a place for Zane Britton, for Carla Buchanan, for Sue Smith Raska, and most importantly, for Brad McCoy. That's my opinion, okay? That's Jesus saying he's going to prepare a place for us in heaven. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again, that's the rapture event, and take you to myself, take you to the prepared places. That's not the second coming of Christ where he goes to the earth and puts down the bad guys and sets up a kingdom on the earth. The rapture event where Christ comes in the air for his church, he resurrects us, we are able to fly up and meet him in the air and we go to the prepared places. That's not the second advent, that's the rapture. Look at First Thess 4, or you can just look at your notes. And really, First Thess 4 and 1 Corinthians 15 are probably the two most important passages. Let's scan those. But we do not want you to be informed, fellow believers, about those who are asleep, believers who have died since Paul started the church in Thessalonica. Now, um, you probably didn't know this, but the first church in Thessalonica was called Thessalonica Bible Fellowship. That's the church he started. That you may not grieve. So we're not supposed to grieve dead loved ones, right? you got to read the rest of the sentence, okay? Phyllis lost her husband this year. I lost my mom this year. We're not, they're not really lost if we know where they are, but we don't have them walking around with us anymore. Life is bigger than just the now. The now is real and it's important, but it's not ultimate and it's only temporary, right? It's very important for Christians to think like that. Even if you're young and, and uh, you're a teenager and you think you're pretty cool, you're still not bulletproof. So I want you to know about those believers who have died, maybe because of persecution, because Thessalonica was a hotbed of persecution against Christians, that you may not grieve like those, like unbelievers, who have no hope about life after death. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who, who are alive in our physical bodies when Christ comes at the rapture event and remain on earth, we haven't died, asleep is just a euphemism for the death of a believer, until the coming of the Lord in the rapture event. Paul is saying it could happen in his generation there. He's putting himself there. We know it didn't happen for at least another 2,000 years, because we're 2,000 years later. Excuse me, in round numbers. Those of us who are alive on earth in physical bodies as believers, and are alive on earth until Christ comes in the air, coming of the Lord, shall not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died before the rapture event. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, He's got the prepared places. He's going to take us to prepared places. The voice of the archangel, the trump of God. See, President Trump's in the Bible, the trump of God. The trump shall sound, right? Uh, And the dead in Christ will be resurrected first. Resurrection is the reunion of your soul, your consciousness, with the elements of your physical body that have been supernaturally transformed into a body like the one Christ had when he was resurrected. That's what resurrection is. Resurrection is not consciousness after death. It's the reunion of your elementary physical body supernaturally transformed with your soul. For believers before the rapture, we're told in 2 Corinthians 5 that physical death is to be absent from the physical body, which they're going to bury or cremate or whatever they do with it, and to be present with the Lord. That's what we're promised as believers. Death is not extinction of consciousness. It's the separation of your consciousness from your body to go to be with Jesus. Uh, folks who died before the rapture will be in that form when Christ comes back at the rapture for his church. Those believers who have died and been with him will have their resurrection body. And so Joe and Bill Dickinson, two of the founders of this church, are buried in Duncan Cemetery, south of town. For them, their resurrection is going to happen there, right? Because those who are alive and remain will not get their resurrection bodies before the folks who have died first, they'll get their bodies first, and then it says, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them. Who's them? Jesus and the previous New Testament believers who have died and now have resurrection bodies. To meet the Lord where? On Mount of Olives? The second advent happens on the Mount of Olives, Michelle. doesn't happen in the air, right? This is up and stay for a while, not down and stay. So comfort one another with these words. Now, by the way, the word rapture is not in your Bible. The word Trinity isn't in your Bible. The word Bible is in your Bible. The Trinity is taught in the Bible. The concept of Scripture is taught by Scripture. And the rapture is a term we've coined, Abby, because in the Latin translation of the Greek New Testament called the Vulgate, 
the word to be caught up is translated by the Latin word rapturo. And so based on rapturo, to be caught up. So the rapture is uh, believers being alive on the earth, the generation that's alive on earth of the church of all colors, countries, and cultures, being caught up to meet the Lord in the air with resurrection bodies after the folks who've died first coming back with them get their resurrection bodies. That's what that is. That's where we get the term. First Corinthians 15 goes into a lot of detail too. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. This wasn't in the Old Testament. Um, we're not all going to sleep. We're not all going to die. There's a generation of Christians that won't die physically. Now, you know, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Okay? Uh, <laughs> so I'm all for this being the generation. I'm not setting a date, but hey, Pakistan has nukes. The North Koreans have nukes. These people are not rational. This is, the status quo is not sustainable. I mean, just look at the national debt. Just do some math. You know, it's not sustainable. We're not all going to say there's a generation of Christians, church age believers, who are not going to die because they're going to be resurrected in place when Christ comes back at the rapture event. But we're all going to be changed. We're all going to be resurrected in place. Is that great? That's even better than a, a visit to special days cake boutique, uh, you know, which is always a good thing, especially if they've got cake pops. You want to know what to get Pastor Brad if he's in a bad mood? Get me a cake pop from her place, okay? Preferably chocolate. Strawberry is good, too. When you have to beg for presents and stuff, during a week after Christmas is terrible. We're not all going to sleep. There's a generation of Christians that will not be submitted to physical death. Isn't that wonderful? As Martha Rattler would say. But we're all going to be changed. We're all going to get a resurrection body. In a moment, supernatural, you can't do this in a laboratory. At the last trump, there's President Trump again. That's actually talking about a trumpet, not President Trump. For the trump will sound, you can't help but think it though, right? And the dead will be raised imperishable, right? Those who have died will not, we're not going to precede them and get in the resurrection body. And then we who are alive and remain will be changed. We're going to get a resurrection body. This physical body, which ages on you, this perishable must put on the imperishable, this mortal must put on immortality. So the rapture is taught in the New Testament, and really, by evangelical Christians, I mean Christians who believe that the death and resurrection of Christ is the core teaching of all of Christianity, and that salvation is by God's grace, not our merit, received through faith in the work of Christ. That's an evangelical Christian, regardless of color, country, culture, denomination, generation, and we all believe in a rapture, but not really. That is to say, I'm not going to get into the weeds here, but there are three different schools of thought for Christians when it comes to unfulfilled prophecy, and our charts differ a little bit, especially when it comes to the rapture. Notice all of the schools of evangelical Christians believe in a literal second advent of Jesus Christ. However, boom, what I'm going to present to you is a view that says, and I think the New Testament teaches this clearly, that the rapture event, whoop, went the wrong direction. Here we go. Uh, what I'm seeing is different than what you're seeing. That's the problem. Okay, the rapture event and the second advent are related, but they're different. The rapture happens at the end of the church age and starts the end times. Seven years later, the second advent of Christ is him coming to the earth, not for his church, but to end human history on God's terms put the Antichrist out of business, and set up his kingdom. So we've got a rapture here. Those are the passages we just read, distinct from the second advent. Many Christians, in fact, the majority of Christians, regardless of whether they are in the second or third school of thought, they believe that the rapture is an aspect of the second advent. They, they, they superimpose them. Do you realize this? And more Christians believe that than don't. You may, there may be people here who've checked this out and that's where you hope, that's where you are. That's okay. You're not a heretic. The one thing the Holy Spirit has really emphasized through church history, the absolute irreducible minimum of Bible prophecy, and I'll use this again, if, let's say this is a final exam at Dallas Theological Seminary. What's the one main thing? In the Bible there are a lot of things hard to understand, but the main things are plain things, and they get repeated a lot. What's the main thing taught in New Testament? about the coming of Christ, the literal second advent, right? Uh, it's not a pre-trib rapture, rapture before the tribulation, but that is what the Bible teaches, in my humble opinion. could be wrong, but it doesn't happen that often, so I wouldn't assume that was true. No, I'm kidding there. 
But yeah, just realize that uh, most Christians believe and are taught that as Christ is coming down at the second advent to end human history, Christians are resurrected in place and go up and meet him in the air as he's coming down and we come right back down with him. Okay, And you can superimpose those passages uh, that talk about second advent, rapture, and that'll work. Yeah, logically, you can line all that up. But I'm convinced Scripture, when looked at carefully, makes a distinguishing, it distinguishes between those two events. In other words, the rapture is up and away to the prepared places. Second advent is down and stay. Mount of Olives, kingdom, eternal state. Rapture takes place in the air. We're going to meet him in the air. Second advent takes place in the Mount of Olives. We're going to be on the Mount of Olives, Olga. You're going to be on the Mount of Olives. Lord willing, next May. Right? Uh, Jesus is coming for his church to take them to, what did he tell the guys right before he left? I'm going to go prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come get you and take you to the place. Uh, Second Advent prepares the earth, ends the trib, uh, prepares the uh, world for the millennium. Rapture ends the church age. Seven years later, Second Advent ends the tribulation, the rise and the fall of Antichrist. Uh, Paul specifically says in 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to tell you a mystery. This is a mystery. A mystery is not something mysterious and spooky, but something unrevealed in the Old Testament. This is church age stuff, the rapture. The second advent of Christ is a major theme throughout the Old Testament. All the passages about Jesus as the lion, as the ruler. That's not first advent, that's second advent. Old Testament taught one Savior, Natalie, with two advents. First advent, lamb. Second advent, lion. New Testament talks about second coming with two phases, two aspects. Rapture for the church, second advent, and uh, human history on God's terms. Rapture is any moment, it's imminent, could happen at any moment. might not happen for another 2,000 years. I don't think it's going to take that long. It might not take but about another 200 days at the rate we're going. But it could happen this afternoon. And, and cheer up. If you get bored with this, it could happen before I'm done today. And it could, now I know some of you want to stay until we had to do the t-shirt thing. And then, you know, that'd be perfect. Get the t-shirt and then get raptured, right? Don't get too tied down here, man, because you're not going to stay very long. Second advent is only after specific signs. There are no signs. Nothing needs to happen as far as God's prophetic timetable before the rapture can happen. Now, Angel's excited about being a nurse. She wants to finish nursing school and be a nurse. I remember getting toward the end of my Dallas seminary period. I thought, I really would love the rapture to happen, you know, like today. On the other hand, I really want to get out there and really kind of pulverize people with the Bible before it happens. So, you know, that's just the way I was. So that's just a chart to say, hey, uh, they're, they're distinct events. And again, Christians will disagree with that, but that's kind of where this church has been. In fact, I'm going to stress that. Uh, everybody who's serious about Scripture believes in a rapture event. They believe in the first fast four, the John 14, the first Corinthians 15 event. But many of them superimpose those with the second advent. I'm saying they're different uh, because of data like that. The Holy Spirit has clearly emphasized the second advent. That's what the, his church has consistently confirmed. That's the absolute irreducible minimum. So this is not uh, a question of salvation or ultimate orthodoxy, but it is a fine point that needs to be considered and then 1C in that list of things, and in my first thing, it's taught in the New Testament. The founders of TBF, like Bill and Joe and Dale and Debbie and, uh, help me, George and Paula, and who else am I leaving out? Yeah, Lance and Mary Joe and Johnny and, and the Blalack and uh, Joella. These folks held to a, a rapture distinct from the second advent. And all three of her pastors, 44 years and three pastors, Mike Kempinen, Bob Leitner. Can I call him? I, I never called him Bob. I always call him Dr. Leitner because he was one of my teachers at Dallas Seminary. Just like, Murray still calls me Dr. McCoy. Now, you don't need to do that around here. Just call me Dr. Brad. That's fine. That's all you need. Is, no, you can call me Brad, Pastor Brad. Hey, you. Just don't call me late for lunch, okay? Or for, don't call me late for waffles tonight. I, I'm going to be there for you. But all of us, for whatever it's worth, are convinced that this distinction is is significant and important and is what the New Testament is teaching, that we're living in the church age, Christ is going to come for his church, the earth is going to go into the reign of the Antichrist, and then Christ is going to come back and solve the problems. Uh, that's what we're expecting. And uh, But here's the thing, I, I, I worded this specifically. The founders of the church, the three pastors, have all been convinced that the rapture is distinct from the second advent, 
that over the years, and this is one of the unique characteristics of this church. Most churches don't try to do stuff like this because it's too complicated. It can't work, you know. But it's worked here for 44 years because, and, you know, and for uh, for Chris and Lori, you probably heard this, but I would say TBF is a uh, it's a church made up of believers from a wide variety of denominational backgrounds, united by our faith in Jesus Christ, and committed to to growing spiritually and reproducing spiritually by focusing on the basics of Bible study, fellowship, worship, prayer, evangelism, world mission. And so by definition, we focus on the core essentials of the Christian faith because we have people from Calvinistic backgrounds, Arminian backgrounds. We have people from, uh, they uh, baptized babies. I don't baptize babies because that's not a conviction. I baptize believers, but I'm not going to say you're antichrist if you believe in infant baptism, but you had to get somebody other than me to do that, because I'm not going to violate my conviction, but you're welcome. We're not going to polarize you or scandalize you over that. And even on eschatology, which is a study of Bible prophecy, I'm not going to tell you that's the only view that born-again people hold, or that's the view that most Christians hold. It's not. It's a minority view worldwide, and for 2,000 years. But it happens to be correct. You know, it's my story. I'm sticking to it. It has the advantage of being correct. But here's the thing. Uh, somebody, probably before Augustine in the 5th century, but Augustine is credited with this, said, in the church of Jesus Christ that transcends colors, countries, and cultures, in the essentials, we must have unity. The resurrection of Christ is not debatable. The deity of Christ is not debatable. A literal second advent is not debatable. It's so clear, so obvious. If you take that away, you don't have anything. In the essentials, unity, the big things. In the non-essentials, rapture distinct from second advent, rapture on top of the second advent, liberty, people can hammer out their own convictions, and in all things charity, which means love. Okay, So New Testament is taught in the New Testament. Everybody who's conservative believes that, but many people see them as the same thing. Rapture, second advent, we're daring to say they're different, and I really believe that they are. What's the second thing you need to know? It's imminent. What is imminent? Imminency refers to an impending event that could take place at any moment. Not necessarily soon, not necessarily immediately, but quickly and suddenly when it happens. It could happen at any moment. It's as if history during the church age is going along the top of Niagara Falls and could at any moment slip down into the tribulation as Christ takes the church out. I think that's a helpful metaphor to think of. That's the way God, you know, it describes the, the character of the church age. Let's look at some verses. Revelation twenty two twelve. I love this. Jesus says, I am coming quickly. In fact, let's, let's look those up. Look at twenty two twelve in your Bible. I'm reading off my text here. But uh, and if you want to win a Bible prophecy or a Bible trivia contest, you might say, where do you find the last words of Jesus in the Bible? And most people are going to say the end of Matthew, the end of John, or something like that. Or maybe the first part of Acts. You want to say Revelation 22, right? Because he gets quoted several times in the last chapter. One of those quotes is in the last chapter of the Bible, verse 22, the epilogue of the book of Revelation. Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming quickly in my reward. Salvation isn't a reward. It's a gift. Rewards are given to believers based on the fruit of their salvation. He just can't wait to give you your rewards. It's with me to render to every person according to what he's done. I'm Alpha and Omega and so on. Now you might say, coming quickly, in fact, Bart Ehrman, a famous New Testament skeptic, says, hey, Jesus didn't come quickly. He said that, according to John, during the first century, and we're in the 21st century, what's going on? That's not quickly. The word quickly there is one word, it's taku, and it talks about how, not when. He's going to come suddenly. There are no intervening events in Bible prophecy that happen have to happen before the rapture happens. It could happen at any moment. And when it happens, it will be just like that. It won't be a long lead-up, unless you want to talk about trying to talk North Korea out of using their nukes as a long lead-up, which it kind of feels like. Go back to Revelation chapter 1. You were in the last chapter of Revelation. Go to Revelation chapter 1. This is the only book of the New Testament that I can think of that actually dares you to read it, that that tries to motivate you to read it. Everybody says, well, it's too hard to understand. No, it's not. And this broad outline is very easy. But it's he's promising all these blessings. 
This is not the riddle of Jesus Christ. This is the revelation. Apocalypsis means an unveiling, a making plain. Revelation of Jesus Christ, which God the Father gave him to show to his bondservants. That includes Clay Ward, not just James Mitchell and Brad McCoy, his were ordained ministers. The things which must soon take place. Soon. Uh-oh, we got the problem again. Soon here is not uh, an adverb. It's a prepositional phrase. Entake, which means will happen suddenly. That's what it means. It'll happen suddenly. What's the linchpin that initiates the fulfillment of the end time prophecies of Revelation? Say the rapture, and it's imminent. It could happen at any moment. That's what, that's the, that's the thing that's taught throughout these statements. Not that it's going to happen in the first century necessarily, and it didn't. And he sent, communicated this message by his angel to his bondservant, John the Apostle, who testified to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even all he saw. Now here's the incentive clause. Blessed is uh, Ray Ward if she'll read and hear and respond to the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now, you know what that means? Egus, which is actually fun to say. Let go of my ego. You know, egus is the Greek word there. It means impending, overhanging, could happen any moment. Might not happen for a while. And that's what it means. Blessed is Stan Heath, if he'll read this, hear it, listening is physiological, you know what I mean? You know, uh, you got to work uh, to get this thing, and heed the things that were written in it, because all this good stuff is impending. Now look at chapter 4, and as you go to chapter 4, verse 1 of Revelation, let me show you just how hard this book is to understand. It is so hard. Chapter 1, John is commissioned to write the book. Chapters 2 and 3, Jesus tells you things he likes and doesn't like in churches. Chapter 4 and 5, you see the scene in heaven before the tribulation on, on earth, right after the rapture on earth. See the scene in heaven. I call it the control room. This isn't that hard, is my point. Chapter 6 through 18, the tribulation, the rise and fall of the Antichrist. Chapter 19, the second advent, which isn't the same thing as the rapture. Chapter 20, a thousand-year kingdom. At least we're told six times it's a thousand years. And then chapter 21 and 22, new heaven and new earth. That's how hard the book is. That was 17 seconds to survey that, okay? Now, Hebrews is complicated, okay? <laughs> I'm just telling you. Second Corinthians is hard to outline. That's that. But in chapter 4, look at this. In fact, by the way, hold your place in chapter 4. Go back to chapter 1, verse um, 19. And then we told you, most of the New Testament authors give you some kind of synopsis of what they're going to do at the beginning, middle, or end of their book. And you find that in Revelation in 1.19, <clears throat> based on the command Jesus gives John. Therefore, Jesus says to John, who's been commissioned to write the book in chapter 1, write the things you've seen just there about me appearing to you in the way I looked in my glory. And write about the things that are, the church age. That's chapters 2 and 3. That's the age he's living in. That's the age Steve and Janice are still living in. And then write about the things which will take place after these things. Meta. Tata in the original. Notice the third category of material he's going to cover is things that will take place after the church age, right? That's what it says right there in verse 19. Go to chapter 4, verse 1. Meta tata. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. We're looking for meta tata again. Now English obscures it. After these things I looked and behold there's a door and open in heaven. That's the rapture event in my opinion. In Greek, after these things Three words in English, two words in, he- in Greek, meta, tata. Go back to chapter 9. You're, not, you're looking like I shot your dog. I'm not, this is what it says. He's telling you three things the book's going to have in verse uh, 19 of chapter 1. Write the things that, that you've just seen, verses 1 through 18 of chapter 1. Write about the things that are, the status quo in the church age, chapters 2 and 3. And then write about the stuff meta, tata. Okay, go to chapter 4, verse 1. Metatata, now let's get to the stuff that's going to happen after the church age is over that will lead directly to the second advent. I look, a door standing open in heaven, and the first verse, verse, first voice I heard, the voice of Jesus, like the sound of a trumpet, speaking with me, come up here, come up where? To heaven, and I'll show you the things that will take place, metatata. That sounds to me like the rapture event. Veiled, but he's not stressing church age in this book. He's not stressing rapture. He's stressing the tribulation second advent based on, it's called the law of proportion, how much stuff you put, how much time you spend on things, right? So boom. I thought that was pretty good myself, but um, 
so yeah, you've got the rapture in chapter 4 and 5, then you've got the second advent, they're not the same thing. They're divided by the tribulation, just like we said. Uh, you might say, well, that's so confusing. Uh, not really. Exactly what happened in the Old Testament. The Old Testament talked about how many messiahs, how many advents. There's a distinction there. It's the same thing. It's analogous. That's what he did in the Old Testament. That's what he does in the New Testament. We should kind of be looking for that. Okay? It's taught in the New Testament. It's imminent. It will initiate the end times. First um, Thessalonians 1, 9, and 10, which, as you know, chapter 4 has the big passage on the rapture, talks about, and this is kind of the outline statement for the book. He says, okay, I'm going to write this book to you, and uh, I've been hearing from other sources about your testimony, how you turn to God from idols. These people were Greek idol worshippers before they became Christians. How you turn to God from idols, that's their salvation, through faith alone in Christ alone. To serve as a fruit of your salvation, the living and the true God, as opposed to those Apollos, it's not a God, you know. Aphrodite is not, it's just a figment of people's imagination. And to wait, out of this world motivation, for his son from heaven, whom God the Father raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who will deliver us from the wrath to come. That word for wrath there, orge, never refers to hell. It always refers to temporal, earthly wrath. What he's saying is, uh, you turn to God through faith in Jesus Christ, now you're walking with him, and you're motivated because you realize at any moment he could come and take you out of this world. Jesus is going to deliver the church from the wrath of the tribulation that's described in detail, really in, I should say, Revelation chapter 6 through 18, because 4 and 5 is talking about the events after the rapture, right? First uh, Thess 4 through 13, we read that earlier. That's that passage that says, hey, uh, those who are alive and remain on earth when Christ is coming for his church will not get their resurrection bodies first. The previously deceased church age Christians will get theirs, and then we will get a resurrection body on place and be caught up to meet him in the air and go back to the prayer places. And it's interesting, when you look at First Thess 4, the end of chapter 4, and then the first 15 or 11 verses of chapter 5, you have first the rapture described in 4, 13 through 18, and then a summary of the tribulation described, talking about what we're going to be rescued from. Um, and so that's not a mistake there. Okay, number four. Here comes the happy ending. Everybody's happy when they're ending, right? Uh, rapture is taught in the New Testament. Most Christians superimpose the rapture of the second advent. I'm not denying that. I'm saying, hey, before you go to Hillsdale, you better know that. Because not everybody's going to have a, a chart just like mine. Isn't that sad? I mean, that should not be a shaking, that should not shake you up. Neither should going to the college environment, even Hillsdale. It shouldn't be a shock to you. Some people don't believe in Jesus. They think this is superstition. They think this is fairy tale time. If you don't know that's what you're facing, you've got no shot. Okay, if that surprises you, you're not prepared. Okay, I know James doesn't teach that to you, youth group, and I certainly don't teach it to you from up here. We're in a battle. We're supposed to love our enemies. We have really strange strategies. We have, we have to love our enemies. <laughs> Pray for those that persecute us. You ever do that? Uh, I've been praying for Paul McCartney for like 60 years. Okay, I want to see him come to faith. Not that he persecutes Christians, but uh, yeah, Rapture is taught in the New Testament. It's imminent. It's impending. It could happen any moment. Now you might say, well, it didn't happen for 2,000 years. It's not going to happen now. Make the pulpit the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. The first prediction about Jesus happens in Genesis 3.15, right after the fall. But the big ones start in Genesis 12 with Abraham. These prophecies about Jesus. In round numbers, when did Abraham live? Say 2000 B.C. It took 2,000 years for that to happen, it was right on schedule. We're roughly as far away from the Christ event after the Christ event as Abraham was in the Christ event before. None of those promises were forgotten. They just had to be worked out in time. God is patient. He wants all kinds of people to have opportunity to see this thing and believe. So don't think this is too too far after the fact to happen. It is going to happen. On schedule, on God's schedule, not my schedule. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know that the event that will start this, that pulls the pin out of the grenade, is the rapture event, and it could happen in the next five seconds. But it might not happen for another 50 years or 500 years. But we need to live with an expectancy with that. Okay, the rapture should impact us in positive ways. I've always said, 
And actually, I think Dr. Leitner at Dallas Seminary is the first guy I heard use this alliteration, but anticipating the possible appearance of Christ to resurrect us and take us to the That's Jerry Lewis speaking in tongues. Um, I've worked so hard on that impersonation for many years. Not on purpose, Jason. It just happens. It's just a miracle, you know. Uh, I think Dr. Leitner is the first guy who used the alliteration. The, the imminent rapture should convict us. Don't go into that gay bar, okay? <laughs> uh, it's never a good idea. But I'm going to pass out tracks. You know, wait for them to come outside. No, uh, that's just me. Uh, nothing good happens after midnight, okay? Get home, okay? Uh, boy, I'm way off the reservation. In trouble. Uh, the rapture should convict us, keep doing the right things, and it should comfort us. It should be a real comfort, right? You might say, well, what, is, what if it doesn't happen in my lifetime? You're still a heartbeat away anyway. You're, you're, you're going to go one way or the other, right? Mama Joe used to say, there's no way you get out of this world alive, and that's wrong. The rapture generation will get out of this world alive, resurrected in place. And right now, A, as we enter the new year, if we get there, Jamie, we're closer than any other generation of the church. That's free. You, I just gave that to you. And, you know, we might not get to 2019. The rapture could happen this afternoon, if not before. It literally could happen. So that should encourage us. Now, the passage we started with was Titus 2, and it stresses the positive practical application implications of this truth. The grace of God has appeared, brings salvation to all. Not every individual gets saved, but all kinds of people, rich, poor, immoral, Woman at the well, moral, that needs salvation, that can't earn it, Nicodemus, colors, country, cultures, everybody who trusts in Jesus Christ receives eternal life. All kinds of people telling us as believers now, as an effect of our salvation, to say no to being selfish, lazy, and stupid is a lifestyle, you know, constantly, and then redefining it. Worldly desires to live sensibly, righteously, and godly, looking for, being motivated by, anticipating the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of Jesus in the air to take us out of here. Now, by the way, I won't get into the weeds, but the Greek syntax here for great God and Savior cannot mean the glory of our great God, the Father, and the glory of our Savior. Great God, God and Savior are the same referent based on the Greek grammar and syntax here. This is a good statement on the deity of Christ. We've said Jesus Christ 1, 2, John 1, Colossians 2 are the good ones to start with. Titus 2 is also really good. Great God and Savior, based on the way he writes the Greek text, it refers to Jesus. Jesus is our Savior because he's the God-man Savior, right? Who gave himself for us as the Lamb of God. Seven years after the rapture, we'll come back as the Lion of God. But first he's going to take us out of here, the church, and he's redeemed us from every lawless deed, purified for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. But good works are not the root, they're the fruit of salvation. Now, by the way, it says, uh, looking for the blessed hope. I'm not going to rub it in, but I will say this, talking about college football, I had a hope. I had a hope OSU was going to sneak up on OU this year. We were up. We were down. We beat Texas. We lose to Kansas State. We beat West Virginia. We lose to Baylor. We only play good against really good teams. And we were one little flip to winning that game. And then Corndog threw it into the guy's feet, you know? I mean, under the pressure, I couldn't have done it either, okay? Are you kidding? I would have been in a field position crying behind the center. But, I mean... All we need to do is just, just like throw a dart. Am I right? He could have completed that. Game over. I had hope. I was hoping we were going to beat OU. My hope was destroyed by the actual reality. That's not the way the New Testament uses the word hope. Hope is not, I'm hoping something might happen and it might not and I'll have my heart broken. Hope, elpis, means to anticipate something you know is going to happen. Okay? Now, I'm not going to brag, but we've got uh, Cooper, Peter, and Mason. I remembered all their names uh, with us for, for the last couple of days and for the next couple of days. They had the world's greatest grandmother. I'm not kidding you, okay? And when they found out from Mom, we went up to Tulsa for Christmas, that they were going to be able to come home to come to Duncan and spend like five days with Grandma, 
they were really excited. They were excited for the rest of the period until we got them in the car and drove down here. They were full of hope, positive, energizing anticipation, Wendy, of something you know is going to happen. Little kids look forward to their birthdays, you know. Now, we all know things could happen. You might not be able to celebrate the birthday. But assuming it all comes out, I'm sure that Peyton and uh, Sadie really look forward to their birthdays because I know that Dustin and Angel make sure they have really nice birthdays, okay? And as little kids, we looked forward to that. We, and the whole week before, you know, you just have a special week because you're looking forward to it. That's the way the term that's translated hope, that's the implication of that. It's a faith-directed forward where you're looking forward, you're energized, you're excited, you have active, positive identification about something you promised is going to happen even before it happens. So don't think hope means, man, I hope this happens, but it might not. Just to save time, go to 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Uh, if I get into 1 John, it's going to take me more time than I want to spend right now. Uh, therefore, in light of the rapture, I told you a mystery, we're not all going to sleep, we're all going to be changed. That's the same passage. This is the last verse of that. Therefore, in light of the imminent rapture event, my beloved brethren, this only applies to born-again Christians, not just to people who go to church or, or try to be good and try to go to Sunday school. You're not saved by going to Sunday school. You're saved by trusting Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Uh, therefore, my beloved brethren, because Christ is going to come back and end the church age and get us out of here before the trip starts, be steadfast, be immovable, always be abounding in the work of the Lord because your toil in being a world-class husband, Christian husband, or a great Christian nursing student, it is not in vain in the Lord, even if your culture vilifies you, which is where you are right now. All right, what have we seen this morning? Well, we've seen four key facts, all TBFers, and really all Christians should know about the rapture. It's taught in the New Testament. It's impending. It's uh, overhanging. It's imminent. It could happen at any moment. There are no... Uh, predicted signs or events that have to happen in Scripture before the rapture could happen. The rapture will initiate the end times in the church age and lead the earth to the tribulation and lead us to the prepared places. And it should impact us in positive, encouraging, comforting, convicting ways now. So I'll end where I started. We're in the threshold of a new year. So be sure and write 2019 if you write a check on it, right? Living in a culture in total... The the further our culture gets from biblical truth, the more irrational it gets, okay? The party of science doesn't know that much about biology, apparently, and they can't even do math. So beware of the party of science. But we stand on the threshold of New Year living in this culture that's in an irrational but a complete moral, spiritual freefall. And I'm telling you, run for the hills. No, I'm not telling you. I'm telling you, don't panic. Go to, go to school. Go to college. I got it. You think taking a college class is hard? Try teaching some. Just the paperwork will kill you. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, help is on the way. If you have believed in Christ, you got nothing to worry about. Maybe you haven't. Here's our invitation. Most people, most Americans think Christians think we're going to heaven because we think we're better than other people. We don't smoke and drink or kiss girls that do and that kind of stuff. But in fact, the Bible says... Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. The Bible says stuff like, for by grace, unmerited favor, are you saved. For by grace, are you saved. Uh, and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. So you got nothing to brag about. Salvation is not something you've got to achieve. It's something you must receive. And the Bible tells us all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we're one heartbeat away from the wrath of God. As Jesus said, unless you believe I am he, you will die in your sins. But here's the good news. Because Christ died for our sins, you don't have to die in your sins. Uh, it's not about how good you are. It's how perfect the Savior is. So from the de- And the Holy Spirit is in the job of convicting us of sin, we got it. Righteousness, we need it but can't crank it out. And judgment, it's coming unless we receive the Savior. But the good news is that God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. At the end of the atonement on the cross where he paid the sin debt of the world, he said, it is finished. That's three words in English, but Jason, that's one word in Greek, tetelestai, and they put that on bills of sale after you bought a donkey or bought some grain. They put tetelestai, paid in full. It is finished. 
could be a whimper of resignation. It's finished. They killed me. Or it could be a shout of victory. And it is, but it's more than that. It's saying, mission accomplished. I came as the lamb to pay for the sins, and the work is completed. He died once for all, and now we're asking you to trust in that person for your salvation. And it's not easy to believe that. I don't think you can from the heart unless the Holy Spirit allows you to see that and believe it. But salvation is not based on what you do. It's based on what Christ has done for you. Salvation is of the Lord. Romans 4, 5 says, But to the one who doesn't work, who stops thinking they can earn their salvation, but who believes in Christ, who justifies the ungodly, don't worry, you qualify. You're fine. (laughs) His, the ungodly person who believes in Christ, his faith or her faith is reckoned legally before God as righteousness. Our sins imputed to Christ and judged on the cross, his righteousness imputed to us when we believe. No world religion teaches anything like that. All the world religions are people trying to make points with God, like throwing stuff to him or grabbing stuff from him, trying to get up to him. In Christianity, God comes to earth in the person of Christ, does all the work, and will give it to you if you'll accept it. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. It's my fault. I can't fix it. I'm going to stop trying to fix it. I need a Savior. I believe you died for me and rose again. I trust in, I accept you. Active, receptive trust. This is not promising stuff. This is not giving. This is not let's make a deal. This is you with nothing to give and you receiving the whole thing. Now when that happens and you trust Christ, it has nothing to do with your works, your merits, your promises, your good intentions. He doesn't just give you a get out of hell free card, get out of jail free card. He gives you a whole new capacity to serve him and he expects you to. Now you can serve him as your Lord as you receive him as your Savior. So that's our invitation to you and if you're a believer or just became one, uh, cheer up. It's going to get worse, and it's going to get a whole lot better. Let's have a word of prayer. And remember, don't leave before the t-shirt contest, okay? Uh, Father, we thank you for the convicting and comforting truth of the rapture event. And uh, I don't think I emphasized it enough from the pulpit, so I want to apologize for that. But I pray that we would be energized as we enter this new year. And yet, at some level, it's a, kind of a new start. It's just a new page on the calendar, but we tend to think it's a new start, and people go on um, health kicks, and we're going to read through the Bible in the year and stuff like that, and it's great. But ultimately, uh, every day is important and meaningful, and uh, you call us now to realize, despite the uncertainties of this year for our economy, for uh, you know, politically, morally, spiritually, we've got something to look forward to. Jesus could come back for his church right now, five minutes from now. Uh, And I pray that that would be a convicting uh, and yet a comforting hope. I pray especially for some of these kids that are graduating from high school, going to go to college. They're going to be a long way from mommy and daddy. And I pray that their faith and their uh, love for you will be the thing that guides them. And I pray that the, the possibility of an imminent being with you might be a motivator for them, especially for all of us, really. Uh, we do pray for our country. We pray you might be pleased if Christ tarries uh, to send us a national revival on the scale of the first great awakening. We, we desperately need that. Uh, politicians and government programs can do some things, but uh, our core problem is spiritual, it's moral, and I pray that you might be pleased uh, before we go completely over the cliff as a, as a culture, that you might send a, a sweeping sovereign revival to our our country. We pray that uh, according to your will and your purpose. I thank you for each one who's here this morning, and I thank you for this wonderful season of the year where we've uh, celebrated the incarnation, the coming of Christ, and now we're celebrating um, what he's going to do for his church, and I thank you for the chance to do that this morning with this group. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.